Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello there, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Tom Marvin, technical editor here at Bike Radar, and I'm joined today by three of our mountain biking test team. We've got our senior technical editor-in-chief, Rob Weaver. We've got our technical editor on Bike Radar, Alex Evans, and tech writer for MBUK and Bike Radar, Luke Marshall. How are you all going, guys? Good, thanks, mate. Good. Excellent. Al, you okay? Lovely. Having a great day. Thank you, Tom. Good stuff, Luke. You, uh, are you all good. Cheers, on? Tom. Yeah, all well, thank you. Very good. Is anyone doing anything interesting at the moment, or are we all just plugging away on the usual sort of stuff that we keep on doing? Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, everything's interesting, right? Because it's bikes. So uh, what am I up to? I'm up to uh, flat pedals testing for a massive flat pedal group test. Um, So things I've learned are that there's not much difference between quite a lot of them. They're all quite similar. And then you get some outliers at either end of the spectrum that are really, really good or not so good. But then everything in the middle is kind of pretty all right. Um, So it's quite interesting. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, are you doing? Um, you're doing e-bike of the year as well, which is the first um, first yeah, time we've in, ever done it. Inaugural e-bike of the year, eh? Um, How exciting! Yeah, very exciting. Yeah, I think I, I did uh, nine thousand meters of climbing last week, e- e-bike climbing. In, in the so it's week. not real climbing then. No, not real. So you could half it. So that's four and a half thousand meters of climbing um, with obviously the associated descending. Um, so yeah, really interesting. Actually, got some great bikes in the in the lineup. Um, and it's stacking up to be a good test. Well, Rob, you're doing uh, enduro bike of the year at the minute. Well, you say that. <laughs> I mean, I've just had COVID, right. so I'm literally doing nothing. Mainly sort of coughing and feeling sorry for myself. Um, but yeah, that is the plan. I've uh, not had quite as a productive week as Al, uh, understandably. But yes, I kind of started setting bikes up, getting there. We, I think I've still got one or two more to get in to the workshop but then yeah um looking forward to getting underway i just need to kind of take it a bit steady i think at the start and then make sure i don't myself make myself yeah. any worse and then ramp it up in march but very much so very much so and of course you're doing trail bike yeah is that what no, finished it mate yeah yeah, yeah. Busy, one yeah. of them hasn't arrived but it's fine um yeah yeah <laughs> trail bike of the air sort of Done a couple of rides on them now, set a, set a few bikes up. Um, plenty more to go, though. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's looking slightly better than it was last week in terms of bikes that have arrived and, and numbers and all that sort of thing. Um, and I'm also doing uh, trail shoes, so clipless shoes, trail and enduro clipless shoes. Um, and, again, things have actually improved since last time we spoke, Rob, in terms of what's actually arrived. Um, you can guess really? what's arrived. <laughs> But we have we have ah. a full complement of shoes from all the brands now, pretty much, which is great. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, yeah, cracking on with that. Luke, what are you uh, what are you working on? Uh, so at the minute, I'm just about to get stuck into a, a different bike test, Enduro bikes, um, but kind of a head to head, just one bike with more extreme boundary pushing geometry, and another bike with more um, slightly more conservative standard geometry and just putting those head to head to see you know which i prefer where i prefer it and which kind of where their pros and cons are with each with each design as such so that's kind of what i'm about to get stuck into it's going to take up my time this week i think it feels like that could answer a really important buying question for plenty of people out there who 
you know, maybe considering a bike with super crazy geometry or, you know, are drawn to ones with less and finding out actually where is it going to help and where is it not. It's almost like that bike test was planned to answer a set question, Al. Oh, my God. <laughs> we oh we think God. about these things, don't we? Or do we? Oh I don't know. Um, we've been quite coy about what has and hasn't arrived, but um, all the reviews for, I think, pretty much everything that we've talked about will be on Bike Radar sometime in sort of March, April, May, um, because that's how it all works, really. So, 2022. Tom's just filled it out there. Sometime in 2022. Keep checking. Well, Bike, bike of the Year will go live in... Um, MBUK issue 408, which is on sale in May. Excellent. Um, so, yeah, it'll be on Bike Radar as well in early May in that case, I guess. I believe so. No promises. <laughs> no promises, yeah, please don't. Um, well, that's that out of the way. Um, why don't we sort of talk about what we're actually going to talk about today? Um, and I, I guess the aim of today's podcast really is to address some of the problems um, and some of the sort of Mistakes is a harsh word, but like some of the things that we notice when we're out and about, maybe with people a little bit less experienced and, you know, like some tips for, for newer riders on how to get the most out of their mountain biking, how to get the most out of their riding skills and setup and things like that. So we've compiled a list of 10 things to just sort of make sure that you're getting right. Uh, and we think it will probably help you ride your mountain bike better. Is that, that's about right, isn't it, Rob? Yeah. Something like <laughs> that, isn't it? I mean, I think that's the general goal. That was the gist. Um, Hopefully, hopefully what we've, we're about to touch upon should help yeah, anyone who's kind of new to it, or at least um, give them some pointers and starting points where to, where to start, you know, where to kind of, what to think about. And if they do need to go and get something like coaching or work with someone more experienced on setup, it'll hopefully give them something, um, you know, some guidelines, basically. Lovely stuff. So we've split it into, um, we've got 10 points kind of planned out ahead of us. Um, so we're going to look at three quite often set up mistakes. Uh, we're then going to look at, I think we've got four common technique um, hints and tips, uh, or little mistakes that can be made quite easily. Uh, and then we've got a few more general tips at the end on where best to spend your cash uh, when you're starting out riding. So um, shall we crack on uh, with the first of our setup mistakes? Uh, and Rob, I'll let you kick off with this one and it's tyre pressures. Yeah, so... All too often, people will either go down the route of having uh, too little air pressure in their tyres, which will make their tyres squirm. They sort of feel like they're folding. It can make steering quite vague. It obviously opens you up to the potential of more um, pinch punches, things like that. But alternatively, too much pressure could make it uh, the bike feel really skittish. You know, your tyres can ping off obstacles, which it's another thing to try and counteract with the, you know, your bike handling. And if you're not as experienced, you might, you know, stiffen up while you're riding and makes it even harder to ride. Um, and you'll also lose out on traction. So I think, uh, yeah, what we're just trying to get to is when you do get a new bike and you are heading out on the trails, it's best to have an idea as to what tire pressures to aim for. And I think we've all got our preferred pressures that we'll try and stick to. Um, but having that sort of ballpark to work towards. And you don't necessarily need a fancy digital pressure gauge, but as long as you're consistent with the track pump you use that has a gauge on it and you stick to that every time, that should give you a, a decent benchmark almost to work it, off. It's definitely important to, to not necessarily always look at the, the pressure written on the tyre's sidewall. Um, I, I noticed yesterday when I was pumping up a pair of tires on a bike on a pair of Maxxis tires and it said 45 psi on the sidewall um and it, you know I don't think any mountain biker uh, is running their tires at 45 psi um so you know as, as much as we say please follow the manufacturer's instructions um I think there's maybe some some slight exceptions to that rule particularly with an outlying pressure like that when generally tire pressures are anywhere between 15 and 35 psi depending on conditions tire type rim type riding type, rider weight, riding style, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Luke, I was going to ask, if you were to jump on um, like a, I know you ride a lot of enduro bikes, Luke, but say you're presented with a cross-country bike to go and test um, with some, you know, lightweight tyres on a slightly narrow rim, how would you go about getting the right tyre pressure? So what sort of experimentation are you going to do and how are you going to reach that sort of proper pressure, which is going to be different from your enduro bike, maybe? 
oh, this is where I think I can cheat as I'm incredibly lucky with the amount of racing experience I have of, of watching, not cross-country racing myself. Um, and I guess it's been in the job that, so yeah, I know cross-country riders probably run a little bit lighter pressures than you might expect. And they're down at like around the 19s, 20s PSI marks, depending on the rider and the, and the tire width and things. So have, having just the knowledge of watching the the sport, I would go start somewhere around there, but probably a little bit um a little bit heavier for the 22 PSI mark, just because I'm probably a bit heavier than those uh, those flyweight XE guys. Um, that, that was a surprise, wasn't it? Actually, when, when kind of the, the other day we well, not the other day, you know, it was published somewhere. I can't remember where. Genuinely, can't remember where. Uh, Cross country riders are running really low pressures, um, and I think quite a few people couldn't actually believe that. You know, I think most people were kind of expecting to be like 30, 35, even um, to you know be as speedy as possible, um, but Higher pressures don't always equal faster, do they? Rob, any very quick tips for finding the pressure right, for experimenting with it? Generally speaking, I would normally start a little bit higher because it's easier to let your tyres down a bit as you're riding. So um, as Luke suggested, you know, 20 to 22 maybe uh, in the front, maybe uh, 22 to 24 in the rear. And then if you feel like the bike um, is really struggling for grip, on you know rocky descents you know sort of slick rocky descents or anything like that maybe you know just let a a tiny little bit out obviously you've got to be mindful that too much and you're gonna potentially you know up the risk of getting a puncture but yeah i would say start a little higher and work your way down all right well um speaking of pressures uh the next topic that we're gonna sort of quickly cover off is setting your sag. Now, obviously, suspension is key to getting a bike to form properly, um, and the sag refers to how much the suspension squashes when you sit on the bike and put your rider weight through the bike. Now, normally, you'd what, aim for somewhere between 20 to 30%, depending on the type of bike and the type of feel that you want to get out of it. But um, how are we going to sort of go about getting our sag set up correctly, Al? So sag's, um, sag's an interesting one, it, genuinely, for those people who are already falling asleep. Um, SAG is interesting, I promise. Uh, we might not make it sound interesting, but it is interesting. Um, so that there's two types of SAG. There's rear wheel travel SAG and there's shock or fork stroke shag. Shag, I said shag, oh no. Whoa, <laughs> explicit content. <laughs> uh, SAG. So basically that, that refers to how much stanchion is uh, showing on either your forks or your rear shock. And that's the easiest place to measure SAG. It's much harder to measure wheel SAG. So when we're talking about that percentage, we're talking about the amount of shaft, shock shaft or fork stanchion that has gone inside the lowers or the shock's body, um, and that is your sag. So what you want to do is get all your riding kit on, sit on your bike, stand up on it, like lean against a wall or something, give it a few bounces up and down. I'm doing this, everyone who's listening. I'm, I'm actually uh, sort of shaking my body. <laughs> Um, and uh, then settle on your bike. And if you've got little O-rings on your shock or your fork, little rubber circles, you want to zero them up to the seals on the fork or the shock body. And then get off your bike without kind of compressing the suspension at all. So get off as carefully as you can. And what will happen is that your bike will lift up in its suspension travel. And there you will have your sag measurement between the fork or shock seal and the little O-ring that's been moved up the stanchion or along the shock shaft. Um, And that's how you measure it. And it is genuinely really easy. You can measure the amount of centimetres or millimetres that it's moved up and then work out your percentage from your overall travel of your shaft or your forks. Um, And making sure you've got the right sag is really, really important. What you If you've got too much sag or not enough sag, what's it going to feel like, Rob? Too much sag and your bike's going to wallow around, um, assuming that we're talking about four suspension bikes. Um, so the back end will move too much. It'll move through the travel too easily. The bike won't be very efficient when it comes to pedaling. Uh, if you've got uh, a bit of a disconnect from front to back, as in you've got um, very little sag on the fork, but too much in the rear, it'll mean that your, uh, your uh, shock will compress loads while your fork stays fairly upright, which will rake the front end of the bike out, which will cause you potentially to understeer. So again, it's trying to match front to rear. With all, of, all of this is all about balance. Um, 
again, if you have, um, if you run your bike too firm, so too little sag, it will mean that your bike, a little bit like uh, as we explained with the tyres, it just it won't soak up the terrain as it should. It will mean that you, as a rider, have to do more to absorb those impacts, to absorb, you know, to try and create the grip. Um, yeah, essentially, it'll be harder to keep your, your tyres gripping when they need to grip. So spending the time, that's the thing. I think um, it all sounds really complicated, but in actual fact, it just takes a shock pump and a bit of patience, I think. And as long as you can kind of dedicate a little bit of time to it, there's loads of online tutorials and, and things that are a lot of manufacturers' websites to guide you to get to that point. And as long as you spend that time to get there, the rewards are far outweigh any of that, you know, that time spent doing it, and it's definitely worth it. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. eBay gets it, so look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love, and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. So if you're if you're starting off, you're going to need a shock pump. So if you buy a bike from uh, like a mail order place, such as a Canyon or YT, quite often they'll come with a shock pump. If not, or if you bought your bike secondhand, you have to go to a, a bike shop to go and buy a shock pump. They're about 20, 30 quid, but uh, they will be really important. And like the track pump we we're talking about with the tire pressures, you know, consistency using the same shock pump each time is what's going to help you sort of get those figures. Quite often forks have a little... Um, a chart on the back on a sticker which really help you give at least a guide to the tire pressures based on your rider weight and of course that's rider weight including your kit and your bag and um, so take that into account uh, and to set the sag at the back as sort of al explained it is a little bit tricky because often they don't have um you, you can't just whack at a set pressure in um because it depends on the on the design of the frame the the, sh- the stroke length of the shock and all that sort of thing so yeah have a little play around there are really good guides online if you search uh, bike radar uh, suspension setup guide you'll find an excellent video on our youtube channel and of course uh, there's an associated article on bikeradar.com as well all right so the final of our three sort of setup mistakes is brake lever angle um luke let's start with you on this one how do you set your brake levers how do you get them up you're definitely going to need that explicit thing at the start aren't you jesus after al's (laughs) explanation the shaft in the body jesus (laughs) so how do i set my brake levers up yeah um i guess i do a bit of an old-fashioned way well i will kind of sit on my on on my bike um saddle probably in the low position so I've got a drop a seat post. I drop that down, and I will just I say rest my um, hands on the grips, have my fingers out, and just roughly um, have my brake levers in line with my arms as such. So there's kind of one consistent straight thing. Um, it's quite common to see beginners set their brake levers up too steep. Um, so where the as, as in, in down. down, so where the brake levers are kind of pointing more towards the ground. And um, some people can ride with that okay, but it's it kind of tends to roll your wrists around the grip a little bit. So when you hit a bump, you know, there's less support from the palm of your hands to push against the grip to hold you in a good position on your bike. And you're more likely to yeah, roll your wrists around the grip, potentially slip, and it's just a, not quite such a safe or secure way to ride. Um, I know there's riders like Robin who... Uh, as a personal choice, run his brake levers pretty flat and, and flatter than I can get away with. Um, so do so do experiment. Like there's not one set golden rule for everyone. Um, I think they say a good kind of starting point if you want to get technical is, is around 30 degrees. But again, it's um, it's I guess yeah, sitting on your bike, um, just having the brake levers loose enough so you can move them. Um, but still firm enough they're not just going to drop down and then have a have a fiddle and see where's most comfortable for you that's a good starting place rob do you want to quickly touch on like brake lever position in terms of sort of where it is on the bar 
um, and like the how far in the lever is in those. If you can adjust that on your on your brakes. Yeah. So um, in terms of how inboard or outboard you have them is entirely up to you. And uh, there's a load of factors, including stuff like hand size, that's going to play into it. Um, I kind of, as a as a rule of thumb, and you see where there's a there's a bit of a connection here. I actually use my thumb, and my, I always sit. It's a thumb's distance from the end of the grip to where my brake lever starts, so I can keep it consistent. Because I might not always have a tape measure, but I'll always have my thumb, hopefully, um, that I can use to to use to measure it. And for me, I always find that that's a comfortable distance. Doesn't you know? I think um, if you get too far out, you run the risk of um, almost uh, turning your your wrist, your hands out, if you're then also trying to reach the gear shifters. Equally, if you run brakes too far in, uh, it's going to hunt you up and try and you know, potentially pull your arms too far around in order to make them reach, and it'd be uncomfortable over a long descent. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, when you're talking about actual lever reach, um, some brakes will have a little barrel adjuster or, or something similar, which will tow, um, or a dial maybe, which will tow the lever in or out from the bar. And again, hand size plays in a massive factor but also um potentially the type of riding uh but it yeah it's really is horses for courses i think um i probably get mine my brake levers sit i don't know reasonably far out and they i have a decent amount of travel but i don't want them to i don't want them to stop too close to the bar whereas i know luke for example will have them almost come in and crushes other fingers where <laughs> he has them in so far but it means you know it's personal preference. It also, you know, there's a lot to be said in terms of if you're, you can pull them harder the closer they are into the bar, potentially, which means you're not going to get as fatigued on longer descents, long steep descents in particular. So, yeah, again, another thing, as we've already said, it's um, it's kind of playing around with these things. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you might hit the sweet spot straight away and it might be that you only need to... Um, deviate from that slightly just to realize that you were kind of right in the first place but other times it will be you know um trial and error over the course of a day just trying to ride the same bit of track again and again until you find something you're happy with lovely stuff al anything to add uh yeah just um one little thing if, if you think about your brake lever angle um in terms of when you're riding so you know you sit on your bike in the garage or just you know wherever in the car park and you think, oh my gosh, my, my brake levers are really flat. And, you know, that can kind of lead beginners to to wanting to angle them down because it, it doesn't feel great when you're sitting on a flat surface and, you you know, your wrists are bent upwards when you're trying to, you know, maybe reach your brake levers or they're in a straight line. But if, if you think you start going down a hill and your front wheel is pointing down, you know, suddenly the angle of everything has completely changed and those flat brake levers in the car park are suddenly, you know, at the angle that the terrain is on. Um, so that's, you know, one good way of thinking about it when you're trying to adjust them um, is, you know, don't be afraid to angle them a little bit flatter than maybe you think they should be. All right. Well, let's move on to some riding techniques, because uh, once you've got your bike set up, you've got to you got to know how to ride it well. So I think the first uh, well, the first one that we're going to talk about is about looking ahead, making sure you're looking down the trail, see what's coming up. Um, and so you can dodge all those little bits and pieces that you maybe don't want to hit. Rob, do you want to um, expand on my very simplified view of looking ahead? No, you've nailed it. Totally Perfect. Fine. Right, the next. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, but yeah, to be fair, what you said was, you know, it summarised it really well. It is that um, trying to look up and more importantly, look where you want to go. And, and you know, you're trying to read the terrain the best you can. So just so you can anticipate and we'll, we'll maybe come on to a bit about braking in a minute. It's arguably a bit more advanced, but um just having, you know, having your head up, looking down to see if there are obstacles that are, you know, potentially beyond your um, your skills, being able to um, read it as best you can, whether that needs you need to, sorry, mid, whether that means you need to slow down, whether that means um, you need to anticipate and adjust your body position to tackle them. It's all sort of part and parcel, I think, if you just end up, Looking at your front tyre, stuff's going to just catch you out. You know, you're going to 
you might be kind of looking what your front tire's doing. Oh, is my tire a bit flat? Then next thing you know, you flipped over the bars because you hit a stump you couldn't see coming up. And that's, you know, the last thing you want to happen. Um, and likewise, you don't want to be looking where you don't want to go. I think um, it's really easy to do, you know, oh my God, there's a, there's a massive drop over there or there's a really jagged tree sticking out. I hope I don't hit that and then stare at it, stare at it. And it's like, it's got some magic magnetic force pulling you in towards it. And before you know it, you're wrapped around the tree thinking, oh God, why did I even bother? I think one of the you know really important things for looking ahead, especially as you're sort of developing your your riding skills as well, is is helping you sort of pick better lines. You know, if you look ahead, there might be a couple of options of lines to take, whether you go tight around a corner or you know go a bit wider, that sort of thing. So if you're looking ahead as far as you can, you know you're going to spot those different options, have a bit more time to process where you might want to go, um, and also you know people sort of worry, oh you know I've seen this rock, and you know if I, if I look at it, then I you know I make sure I don't hit it. But your brain will remember these things of where it is, you'll have registered them, you'll see it in your peripheral vision and you will manage to dodge um, those little things that, are, you know, you're potentially worrying about getting in the way. Um, I think that's probably, a, that's probably fair, isn't it? You should have totally explained that, man. You should have done it by yourself. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let, let's move on to um, our, our fifth, uh, fifth point, which is the body position, um, making sure you get yourself um, positioned over the bike properly for effective riding. Luke, um, What's your take on body positioning and how to get it right first time? How to get it right first time? Um, or second time, third second time. time. You how know, to, get, how it to get, right. get it right? <laughs> it kind of it's a little bit depends on um, uh, what sort of riding you're doing and such. But I guess we're going to the trail centre and cruising down the flowy descents on the the reds or the blues. The kind of the trails the kind of less experienced riders are going to be on. Um, and you just want to keep a nice, I guess, balanced stance in the middle of your bike. So especially on the downhills, uh, first things first, you want to be standing up on the pedals, not sat down on the saddle whilst you're going down the hill. It's a uh, it's something you see quite common. Um, people will sit down and they will drop one pedal low, one pedal high, and they will roll down the flow trail, and it terrifies me. So I think I think the first thing to do is to make sure that you're. Uh, if you're going to be out there, go and practice just standing up, having your pedals level and standing up on the bike. That's going to give you the room you need to move either forwards or backwards or move the bike side to side. Whatever little tweaks you need to do to maintain your like composure on the trail to deal with whatever obstacles might be coming up. You're going to have to get that right first. I guess it also means you can use your arms and legs more effectively to absorb stuff yeah exactly it's going to give you not just suspension on the bike but suspension in your body you know if you're rolling over drops or rocks or roots it's going to allow you to yeah absorb and keep the bike going going where it should go um so yeah go get comfortable standing up and and then making sure that if you're doing that that you're not leaning too far backwards i guess another beginner mistake is as soon as the trail points downhill they shift their weight too far backwards and that kind of takes pressure off the front tire and that can be really dangerous in corners and under braking so it's making sure that if you or when you're keeping that balanced position that as the trail starts to go down in a few steeper sections of trail you don't um don't exaggerate a rearwards movement to feel safe as such the bike's going to work best when you keep that center position and I guess that's more relevant on, you know, modern bikes are a lot longer as well, which certainly helps keep your weight centred. I, I guess a lot of people, you know, I, I was certainly doing it in the past when I had like a short, steep bike riding sort of steep stuff. I, I took my weight back to sort of prevent the, the worry of going over the front. But I think these days, modern geometry has kind of pushed that to the wayside a bit, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Modern bikes, they're far more capable than they were 15 years ago, if you know what I mean, especially when we were learning to kids like 30 years ago. Um yeah you can you can maintain a strong position on the bike in the middle of it and the bike where if you keep that you or the bike will do a lot of things for you if you know what i mean but it won't do everything for you if you get into a bad position it's amazing like how how steep and how how much of a drop off your bike can just roll down without the wheels taking off and a good way of of looking at this is to actually get off your bike when it's safe to do so on a trail or whatever if you're in front of a little drop or a roll off or a steep section that you're not confident about and just plop your front wheel over the top of the the drop and and you'll you'll see that you know that the chainring actually won't ground out and the bike will be able to roll down it um and it's quite interesting watching beginners and they get worried about a little steep section because they think they're going to go over the handlebars 
um, which then causes them to get over the back of the bike, um, you know, the front wheel to go unstable and all the things Luke just said about when it, if they just got off and actually seen that their bike can physically roll down the thing that they're looking at, um, you know, they needn't have worried that the circumstances that it takes to make someone go over the handlebars are actually quite extreme. Um, so your, your centralized weight is so important. Cool. I guess all this ties into the next thing, which is crank position. Rob, what's your take on uh, getting the cranks in the right place? Well, I guess this sort of harks back to what Luke was saying earlier. So <clears throat> along with having that, you know, when you're descending, you're standing up on the pedals and you're keeping your cranks flat, it's just to make sure, you know, if you do start to drop your cranks or drop a pedal, you're doing it at the right time and, and when it's necessary so when you're kind of tackling a flat turn, you're putting your outside foot down, that's what's, you know, your outside pedal down, sorry. And that's what's helping to ensure your tyres stay um, gripping to the trail. You know, if you were to do it the other way around and you put your inside pedal down, chances are, you know, you're going to snag that pedal on something, probably the floor, a rock, root, whatever it might be, and it's going to send you cartwheeling down the hill. So it probably, for experienced riders, it probably seems... Um, silly to even bring this up but as Luke said sometimes you will see people and it's it's not because they're consciously doing it because they think it's right or wrong it's probably because their legs are tired and they're going into almost like a default rest position which is with one foot down to kind of take the a bit of the weight just for a little while and then they'll swap and do it with the other way um the risk you have with that just you know it's that imbalancing your actual body weight because you're lifting, you know, you're putting bias on one side rather than the other. Um, but also, yeah, the what you're opening your up, your, you know, your 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 pedaling your foot up to in terms of getting smacked into something, which is going to send you, you know, careering off exactly where you don't want to go. If, if you've got, um, if you're building up a bike and you've got a bit of choice on on crank length, is that something that people need to put some sort of real thought into, or is, are we happy just getting what you're given, sort of thing? I mean, personally, I got short legs i like bikes that have really low bottom brackets so i would normally if i if i could just you know start from scratch i'd put 165 cranks on i think 170 max but yeah ideally i'd go 165 cool al any uh, any thoughts on crank length for you uh, into your short cranks um i not not a huge preference there personally um but it's so dependent on uh, an, an amazingly large number of factors um you know body morphology um, like how long your legs are your back is where you sit your bike shape um you know your, the bike's bottom bracket height loads of different things um i mean shorter cranks make it harder to hit your pedals on the floor um for sure there's no doubt about that because they're higher off the floor all right well um i think through our past four points we've probably turned you all into absolute riding gods and goddesses so um oh rob's got an extra point come on rob I was going to say, I was going to say, so obviously I guess the kind of the crank position one and the body position, we sort of touched on in one. All I was going to say is about um, just thinking about how you time your braking um, because I feel that a lot of people will, you know, break through the turns and I think it's really hard to not do that. But I guess it's just being more conscious of trying to, break before the turn the best you can or scrub off the most amount of speed you can before you enter a turn um more than anything it's because tires are rubbish at multitasking they want to kind of do one thing or the other they either want to be rotating and gripping as you you know go around a turn or they want to be braking in a straight line and that's what they're best at doing they, they will struggle at doing both um a little bit like me, kind of rubbish at multitasking. So, um, yeah, it's 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 one of those things that's really hard to learn and really hard to put into practice. But if you start thinking about it, it's um, it makes a lot of sense and it's it's a good thing to try and you know drill into yourself every so often. Well, so the whole um, you hear a lot of people calling other people brake draggers. So it's quite easy to sort of comfort brake or just like drag your brakes just to sort of keep that speed sort of relatively constant. Um, is is that a good thing to do or should we be doing shorter, sharper sets of braking or how's, how's best to approach in general slowing yourself down before a corner or, or a technical section? I think it all depends on the trail. Um, 
you know, I think if it's um, smoother, faster, and, you know, you can be off the brakes all the way up until that point, then a short, sharp break, you know, in a really controlled manner, off the brakes and try to maintain the, as much grip as you can through the turn is, is ideal. On steeper sections, I would argue it's really hard to just be, as you know, that confident to just keep letting off the brakes. And, you know, um, you'll only see really experienced riders, you know, sort of, trying to death grip those insane sections so you know brakes modern brakes are really good now so they can deal with a lot of heat buildup. so if you feel more comfortable dragging your brakes down the hill you know then it's fine but again if you can balance your braking work on the timing of it if you can keep your cranked fairly level and keep your body well balanced so by not you know sending yourself off balance when the the trail gets technical putting one foot down and throwing you know everything off kilter then you'll be able to you'll be surprised as to how much easier riding those technical sections can be it makes such a difference you know sometimes people will think about trying to throw a leg off to you know count something or try and balance themselves a little better but the reality is your feet up and your cranks level and and controlling your braking it's 10 times easier and i guess it's key to sort of trust your front brake as well because um I guess people have the fear of popping themselves over the front, but actually there's a lot of power on, on offer, but there's also a lot of traction and a lot of control with a, with a modern disc brake. So don't be afraid to use your front brake on, on steep descents, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And like we always talk about, you know, committing to the front, not necessarily, you know, hanging over the front of the bars, but as Luke and Al have said already, you know, as soon as you start to push your weight further back, you're, you're, the traction for your front wheels less is going to be less um, effective. You're not going to have the braking won't um, work as well. It's you know you have to sort of try and stay in that more central balanced um, position over the bike for it all to work together as well as it can. As soon as you start throwing it back or off to the side, you know the control is going to be harder to get. If that makes sense. Should we talk about where to spend where to spend your cash? Or has anyone got anything else to add on, on, on technique before we we move on? There's no hands going up. I think we're good. Well, let's talk about helmets. <laughs> Luke, if you're going to go out and, and buy a helmet, what are you looking for in a, in a, in a helmet um, if you're going to go and purchase one? Uh, a helmet, I think, is something that you should go out and try and buy the the best helmet you can afford. So obviously brands uh, have different levels of, of protection or price range as such, kind of depending on what protection they offer. Um so always try and uh, and get the yeah the most expensive one you can that's within your budget. You definitely want one with a, a shell and uh, a foam liner as such or foam core. And then there's yeah um, modern technologies like MIPS and uh, other brands have similar systems that offer this kind of rotational impact protection as well. Um, some people have or some brands offer like a a, a dual foam um density that kind of offers impact protection for like high and low speeds as well so there's quite a lot of technology in in helmets and and definitely it's worth taking a bit of time to investigate and uh, and seeing what you can get for your budget but don't skimp on a helmet you know there's uh bones will heal soft tissue damage is a bit longer to heal but it will get better but your your head you only really have one and you don't want to um start messing around with that so that there, there are some yeah there are some good resources online um the virginia tech which is a university in america um do a, a helmet crash test simulation um experiment and, and they rate a lot of popular helmets out of five um depending on how well they performed in their crash test so if the helmet you're looking at um you know if you, you can use the, the search function on the virginia tech um, website so you know you can see if the helmet that you're interested in buying is on there and how well it's how well it's been rated in their tests um, uh, some helmets with MIPS are actually quite cheap the one that's springing to mind is the laser Chiru I think it's how you pronounce it which is C-H-I-R-U uh, which has MIPS um, which is a you know really good inexpensive helmet um, you know I think, it, I think it did really well in the Virginia Tech rating there um, uh, and you know, that's a, there are ways to access technology without spending a fortune. But equally, likely, you said the, the more you spend, the better the technology. The lighter it is, the more comfortable it is, the more airy it is, um, and it gives you all of the protection. 
Um, so definitely worth spending the money. We, we rode together briefly um, just after Christmas, Ireland. You, you're riding in full face quite a lot these days. You know, there's, there's a lot of convertible helmets where you can take a chin bar off. So you've got open face and full face. Um, I sort of tend to ride an open face the majority of the time, but you're riding full face. What's the thought behind that? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's kind of a no-brainer. Um, like the majority of my riding is uh, enduro, I guess we you call it. We used to call it bike riding, but now it's definitely called enduro, um, where you'd you know ride slowly to the top and then race down down the hills. Um, so having a full face helmet is sensible because you know you're reaching the higher speeds of downhill tracks and you're going really quickly. So you want the extra protection given by the chin bar. Um, and because the chin bar is removable, you don't have any of the heat penalties that a fixed full face does on the climbs. Um, said that, I, I do actually wear my full face helmet at trail centres. Um, you know, I don't care what I look like. People can laugh at me. doesn't bother. Um, you know, I, I want to protect my face. It's not very pretty as it is. So the more that I can protect it, the better. Um, and I definitely would recommend... You know, anyone going out there who's riding their bike on, you know, slightly gnarlier terrain, probably reds and up at a trail centre could could investigate sensibly wearing a full face. Um, you know, it's definitely not a bad idea. OK, talking of protection, um, Rob, let's talk about knee protection uh, for a minute or two. How are you going about um, picking, you know, the best knee pads for you and the best maybe elbow pads as well if you want to go down that route? Mm, OK, uh, elbow pads, I think, is tricky uh, more because... I think some people aren't bothered where the, you know, the, the sleeve that essentially holds the pad in place sits. But if you were to ride, I don't know, longer descents and stuff like that, you can potentially um, get arm pump from having something too tight sitting around your, um, your forearm, especially. So for me, I look for the ones that almost have uh, like a full length sleeve. So they're not necessarily going to stop me from, breaking bones or anything like that it's more um that they'll be there to just i don't know ward off those sort of superficial things you might end up needing stitches for that sort of thing irritating cuts like that you know um and then yeah with knee pads i guess we're in that sort of awkward position in that we get to try them all so to say exactly how to do it is is for us obviously we just try everything until we find something that, that we like and i think each of us probably have slightly different preferences but for me again it's something that i don't want the elasticated part to sit across my calf muscle i want it to sort of hook up and sit up above it i don't want the pads to bunch up around my knees and get uncomfortable while i pedal because no one wants to keep you know reaching down trying to pull your pads up while you're riding if they slip down or to try and adjust them enough to make them feel comfortable and equally, you want a decent amount of protection that wraps around your whole knee rather than just um, the very front, because the chances are you are going to take the odd knock from the sides. Again, it's not the knee pads generally aren't going to stop you from doing really awkward ligament damage or anything like that. But I guess in most cases, when you're kind of falling off the bike and sliding along rough abrasive ground they're going to help stop those nasty cuts and you know potentially take and absorb a good chunk of that impact out so it will lessen whatever damage does happen there picking the right pair yeah that's a that's a tough one but i guess sources like uh, bikeradar.com where there are myriad uh, knee pad reviews are, is a great yeah. place to start yeah um cool well um i was I was going to ask, maybe we could drop in some of our favourites or some top tips. But as you said, it is so individual that it's kind of it's not the most useful information, perhaps. So, um, well, because I know that I know that the um, the truly designed stage ones irritated your legs, but I wear them. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I t- there's a lot of pads that, yeah, as you say, are popular, and I've tried them, and I, I, I can't, I can't even go there. Um, mostly, it's sort of behind the knee rubbing and, and bunching that does my absolute head in um i've had real good success with pearly zoomy ones and seven idp i think the key thing for me is like a really long sock that goes up your thigh um generally speaking for me that's what works but um you know there's a lot of pads out there that don't have that that i know work really well for for you guys and other of our sort of you know regular mountain biking mates so yeah try go down to shop try them on same with the helmet 
it's probably better to go to a shop and try these things on because you know fit and and how they feel is is so key rather than rather than buying online and saving yourself a fiver it's probably it probably is worth going to a, a physical shop to try these things that'd be my my take on it um so let's look at the final one then shoes now i'm about to test many many shoes um so i've got some opinions on these things but uh i know we all sort of wear shoes for riding quite a lot and there's there's a split between clipless shoes where your shoe has like a, a metal cleat that engages into a mechanism on your pedal um, and flat shoes which have like a regular rubber sole um, and then a regular pedal with some pins on it um with a usually a slightly concave shape to help help give you grip and feel and things um so how do we go about picking a pair of shoes or what should we look for um, in our shoes. Al, oh, you're a you're a man who wears a lot of different shoes, and I know you've got some favourites at the moment. A man who, yeah, definitely wear a lot of shoes. Um, definitely always wear shoes when I'm out riding my bike as well. Um, yeah, just saying, just making sure. Um, I'd, I'd say for beginners, um, don't wear your Nike, Adidas, Reebok trainers as a starting point. Uh, don't wear wellies, um, and don't wear like walking, hiking boots, although they're better than trainers. Um, and, and, you know, don't wear kind of leather style boots either. Um, you know, definitely look at mountain bike specific shoes. And f- the reason for that is, well, one, if you're an SPD rider, all of those other shoes aren't going to have SPD cleats. So if you've got SPD pedals on your bike and that's what you're using, you just can't use them. Uh, but secondly, if you're a flat pedal rider, they're not going to have uh, cycling or mountain bike purpose uh, soles. So 510 are probably the most famous um, rubberized rubber, you know, their stealth uh, stealth rubber, um, which is the, you know, known, well known to be the grippiest, grippiest flat pedal shoes out there currently. Um, and that's really important is the traction between your pedals and your feet, because, you know, between your feet and your hands, they're your two contact points, basically. Well, you're four, if you're counting correctly, because you've got two hands and two feet, or most people do. Don't forget um, your bum, Al. That's five. Well, it depends if you're sitting down or not. So we're going with standing up um, as per Luke's Luke's very important advice that we should all now be heeding. Um, so yeah, definitely definitely look at cycling specific shoes. Um, 510s are a really good brand um, to look for um, because of the extremely grippy sole. Um, but other things to consider are stiffness, um, the shoe body, the shoe size, how much protection they give your ankles, whether they're high, low tops, Laces, Velcros, waterproofs. My gosh, there are so many things to list. Um, once again, like the helmets and the knee pads for flat pedal shoes, definitely go and try some in a shop. Um, but I would seriously consider looking at, at 510s before you look at other brands. It's my genuine impartial buying advice. Do you like 510s, though? I don't think I've said it. No, I, I, don't, think I've, uh, I don't think I've mentioned 510s. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I can't talk for SPDs, but I'm sure you guys can. Well, I was just going to chime in just just to say as to why we're saying this is so important. It's because, so I've been asked, even recently, someone uh, actually in our commercial department asked about getting some riding kit and said they wanted to, I think it was like, I've got a helmet, I've got this, that, the other. I'll just wear my trainers. And they told me what the shoes were. They were like super floppy, just running shoes. And they sent a picture, I think... Uh, I think they're just going to run some, you know, like standards, cheaper pedals that you would get maybe with reflectors on, so no real pins. And I think at that point you sort of think, well, you know, upgrading your pedals can be quite expensive unless you go for a plastic body, you know. Um, But if you're going to keep riding and you're going to keep doing it, investing in some shoes rather than trying to claw your expensive 120 quid running trainers around a relatively slippy pedal anyway, you're really not going to enjoy your time out on the bike. You're going to spend all your time with your feet being bounced around or you're going to slip off and shin yourself and never want to touch a bike again. And, you know, I guess for us who love riding bikes and want to tell people how great it is, that's the last thing that we want our friends or colleagues or whoever it might be to experience. So it feels like, I mean, I'm sure you've all seen it, but you def, you know, you go to a trail centre and there's definitely people that might have invested in everything all the way down to their feet and then they're, like you said, in hiking boots or running shoes or wellies or whatever it might be. And you just think, oh, if you just make that 
make that final commitment. And and that's the thing. It's not like it used to be where, sorry, but 510 were the only brand. You know, Shimano offer some some really cheap, uh, well, not really cheap, but far more affordable flat puddle shoes now. And there's a lot more competition from across the board, the board you know, ride concepts, brands like that. So you've got a lot more... A lot more options when it comes to shopping for these sorts of things and it will make life so much easier on the bike so much more enjoyable luke any any final thoughts when it comes to uh footwear um well just a general point on like people getting into mountain bikes or beginners like and what robin was alluding to like the whole ride experience um say you've got a budget of two thousand pounds for a new mountain bike you know i think from my personal view, you would probably have a better riding experience if you put £1,500 towards a mountain bike and allowed yourself £500 budget to get yourself some good shoes and some pedals to go with it, um, a good helmet, some eyewear, and just some clothes. Because your experience on the bike isn't just the bike you're riding. It's how comfortable you are whilst you're out there. And if you can be warm, comfortable in control dry if you need to you know feel like your feet are attached to the bike as they should be that that whole experience is going to be much better for you and you're more likely to come back and do it and i think you're more likely to enjoy it say spending a bit less on your bike and having the correct kit to go along with it than just splashing all your money on the fanciest bike you can afford and then not getting to enjoy that experience riding it because everything else isn't quite as it should be and uh so that's kind of just a bit of a summary there, I think. I think that's some fine sage advice there. And uh, yeah, I'm seeing nods coming through uh, our Microsoft Teams screen. So uh, I think we all agree on that. <laughs> well, I think we'll um, we'll wrap it up with that. So um, yeah, hopefully there's, there's some tips in there that are going to help riders both new and slightly more experienced. So um, thank you, Al. Thank you, Rob. Uh, and thank you very much, Luke. Thank you. Cheers, Tom. Cheers, Tom. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bike Radar.